church. We're in the middle of, uh, well, we're actually towards the end of our Mythbusters series. Um, I wasn't sure how many weeks I should go for, but I've had such good feedback that I, I keep on finding illustrations. So um, part of what we're doing, and part of the reason we're doing it like this, is because all of our year threes and up are in, in the room. And so, guys, I've got a really fantastic illusion for you later. All right, so pay attention. And, uh, and I know the adults love it as well. So... We have been challenging worldviews. That's what we've been doing in the Mythbuster series. Uh, so what is a worldview? Uh, a worldview is, there's a definition on the screen, but a worldview is simply the way you look at the world and the, 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 the lens through which you look at the world and, and, and that will colour in your experiences, it will colour in how you think and how you approach things. So there's some, this is just an illustration, but it's like a lens that you look at the world. So if you choose this one, then you are going to look at everything and it's going to look a certain way, whereas somebody else, you know, might look that way and look very different. So our challenge is that we've been given a worldview from the world that we live in. Like, you can't avoid that. Uh, possibly you've got worldviews handed to you by parents and, and by other, maybe a, a nationality, whatever it is. Uh, for us, if we've chosen to follow Christ with our lives, uh, the heaven has a worldview that's actually quite different from all the worldviews of the world. And, uh, and so that's our challenge and our beautiful invitation from our Heavenly Father is to, you know, gradually repent and look more and more and more like Jesus. Okay, and so that's what this is. We've been challenging world worldviews. We've been challenging church worldviews. Uh, that was fun. Um, and so, just really briefly, uh, on week one, oh, so the, the key verse that we've been working through is uh, Romans twelve two. And uh, so Romans twelve two says, "Do not be conformed to this world. Don't keep your world's worldview. Don't be conformed by the world, but be transformed." by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So that's what we're doing. That's why we're doing it. We, we want to not just simply add Jesus to our lives, but we actually want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds to look more and more and more like Jesus, to think more and more like Jesus, to, to, so that when, we, when people interact with us in the world, that they actually encounter the living God as well, because he's in us. Amen? Okay. So week one, uh, super quick. Uh, week one, we talked about, I can be a Christian and live a normal life. I can be a Christian and simply add Jesus, keep my worldview and add Jesus. And what we discovered was it's like oil and water. Those two things don't mix. Heaven's worldview is so radically different from the world's worldview on purpose, the, the enemy, Satan, has been you know, challenging and changing the worldview for so long that it's quite the opposite of heaven. And so um, those two, you can't simply add Jesus. We need to repent of, you know, as God highlights things to us, oh, it's the way I've always thought. It's the way mum and dad always thought. It's the way their parents always thought. Well, actually, that doesn't make it right. Uh, and so as God reveals stuff to us, we'll find ourselves repenting and, uh, and then adopting the Bible worldview. Does that make sense? So that was week one. Week two, I'm not good enough to be a Christian. So what was the answer to week two? Are you good enough to be a Christian? No and yes and no. Uh, so 
Because that's a myth based on a truth, and that is that we're actually not worthy. We're not worthy. Uh, but this is taking it too far. That's saying, I can't even come to Jesus because I'm not worthy. Whereas the gospel truth is, actually, that's why Jesus came. None of us are worthy. And we only become worthy to, to know God uh, in relationship with him because of what Jesus has done. So it's actually a myth based in truth. We're not worthy of, of uh, coming before the throne of God in our own strength. We actually need Jesus. Week three. Uh, I can customize my Christian beliefs based on what I think is true. This is a really common one, especially today. We live in a really intellectual world. And you, you, maybe it's an area of study. Maybe it's just uh, an area that you've just always believed. Oh, but this is, this is what's true. And then you impose your truth on the Bible. And that's not the right way around. We need to consider the Bible as God's word, which is absolutely true. And then, potentially, we're the ones that need to change. Not change the Word of God, but actually allow the Word of God to change us. All right, so that was, that was week three. Most of these are on the podcast, uh, if, you, if you want to catch up on any of them. One of them didn't work. Week four, which was last week, everything, happens is, everything that happens is God's will and God's design. Now, this is actually a Christian worldview that I was challenging. Everything that happens is God's will and God's design. And, uh, and, so the, and so there's, obviously God is sovereign. And God can, he's, he's ridiculously almighty. And he can impose himself in any situation. But just because something happens, that doesn't mean that's the way God wanted it to happen. Because of course we have a free will as well. And we don't always choose what God's will is. And a really simple illustration would be Parenting. Oh, I've got a beautiful will for my kids. But that doesn't mean that they always choose exactly the way that I want them to choose. It doesn't always make it bad, but sometimes there's consequences to that. And then, so the big statement I made, which was quoting my Theo professor, was that God works in the chaos of our choices to bring about his will. So just because something happens, that doesn't mean God did it. But that doesn't mean he can't do anything. It's this wonderful uh, mystery that, you know, you could probably spend the rest of your life unpacking. Um, now, today, uh, I'm going to choose the, the fifth worldview. And be, being Father's Day, I wanted it to actually be about our Father in Heaven. And so this is the one I've chosen. Uh, God is too big and God is too distant to know me or to care about me. God is too big and distant to, to actually know me or to actually care about me. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, which is like the most thorough revelation of who you are. Like he spent his whole time pointing us towards God the Father. And he, he made a way for us to know you personally. This is incredible. And then... He left so that your Holy Spirit can come and fill us and indwell us because of what Jesus has done. And so, Lord, help us. Help us align our thinking, our beliefs, our lives, our choices with heaven's perspective. We need your help. We're not going to do it on our own. We're not that, we're not that clever. Lord, we need you. So help us and uh, help us unpack this one today, Lord, in Jesus' name.
Amen. Okay, so I chose this because it actually piggybacks on some of what we talked about last week. So last week, just super briefly, um, we started 300 years before Jesus and we unpacked some Greek philosophers and we wrote this big list of stuff that they said they weren't Hebrew thinkers, they weren't Christians, obviously, because it was 300 years before Jesus is when it all began. But what we talked about was the Greek, sorry, were the Greek thinking Christians, theologians, in the early, in the first three to 500 years, actually thought that the intellectualism of the day needed to be combined and merged with Christianity, with the Bible. And, and, Sometimes that, and I'm not saying it's all wrong. Uh, what I'm saying is it's it's actually added some confusion to the body of Christ. So last week, I got to be honest, it was a nervous preach for me, and uh, I don't think it came out wonderfully. Uh, or you know, there was some there was some good bits, but I think I spent way too long talking about this stuff. Probably because I'm nervous. Probably because I know that the body of Christ isn't united on this. Okay, and so. Um, I just want to approach this with humility and I'd invite you to do the same and to be teachable. And the invitation, so there's a list that we put up on the board. And so this list has actually come straight out of classical theology and reform theology. Um, And it is actually identical to the list that was developed by Aristotle and Plato and, and those boys before Jesus. And so, like I said, they merged Greek thinking because their assumption was that was right, and they merged it with biblical um, thinking. And, uh, and, and like I said, I'm not saying that this whole list is wrong. What I'm saying is don't assume it's right. Allow the Bible to impose itself on this list, not the other way around. Okay? Is that all right? Because like I said, some of this list I actually agree with. Uh, that doesn't make me right, <laughs> okay? It doesn't make me right. We need to start with the Bible. So today, I think this myth of, well, I'm calling it a myth, that God is distant and he doesn't know us, actually started with this list. So if you go to the next slide, there is uh, some particular ones that I think addresses this. That in yellow, that God is impassable. So pass, impassable means he's never emotional. He's, he's never, nothing imposes itself on him. So we can't affect him at all. We're too little. He's too big. Okay? Um, so that's, where, what, that's what that means. And so, and like I said, the implication of that is he's not, never emotional. Um, self-sufficient. He never desires anything. He doesn't, he, he's got everything he needs. And he never desires anything more than that. Now, of course, there's truth in that. Because he's God. And there's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and they've got enough love there. They didn't need us at all. But the other truth is that we believe is that God created us for the purpose of relationship. Okay, so there's, there's, this, there's this thing going on there. That's, it's true, but kind of there's more to it. So he never desires, so self-sufficient is he never desires relationship with us. Transcendent, um, he's distant. He's completely removed from us. He's not even a little bit similar. Uh, transcendent, totally different. Holy other is similar. Um, he's nothing like us at all. He's totally different. Holy with a W, W-H, like fully, completely other, completely different. And like I said, not desiring of any relationship. And unknowable, totally unknowable. Um, I left the word incomprehensible in because I think there is a level of 
Um, if you think you can fully comprehend God, you probably need to read the, read the Bible more. Um, <laughs> like, I think he is. Like, I don't think our little brains could, could manage to fit it, him all in. Um, so I think there is a, definitely a level of incomprehensibility to God, but I, I don't believe at all he's unknowable. In fact, that's why he sent Jesus, so that we may know him. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And his whole ministry was pointing everyone to the Father. So, uh, today I just want to focus on what Jesus said about his Father. Okay, and if you've got your Bibles, we're going to hang out in one chapter, Luke chapter 15. They'll be on the screen as well, but if you have your Bible, feel free to read along in there. Your physical Bible, your backlit Bible, um, whatever you need. Okay, so Luke 15. And uh, like I said, it, it'll be on the screen as well. So let me start reading it for you. Do you. Does anyone need more lights? Yeah, can we just put a little bit, a few more lights on? Thank you. Okay. First one. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, to Jesus. So the tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Okay, so now just to unpack a little bit, tax collectors and sinners was Jewish code for unworthy. They were unacceptable. They were unreligious. They were Jewish social outcasts. Okay, they were religious lawbreakers uh, and the religious people enjoyed comparing themselves to them. Now, because the, uh, a tax collector effectively worked for the Romans and, the Jew- and, and imposed taxes on the Jewish people and had authority to take more than they, you know. And so a lot of them were a bit, a bit corrupt. I don't think that necessarily meant all of them were, but that was their, that was their um, reputation. And sinners is just a very big bucket word. And so... Jesus heard them grumbling, and this is the purpose for him saying these next three parables. So the purpose of these parables was to uh, directly answer what the Pharisees uh, and the scribes were grumbling about, that Jesus hung out with sinners. Okay, so we're going to see sinners being constantly brought up, but what we're also going to see is the heart of the Father, the heart of God coming through. And we're going to make some lists and, uh, and see if we can add it up. So what does the Bible tell us about Father God? All right. So let's kick in. So there's three parables, um, three stories that Jesus told. Is the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son or the prodigal son. Okay. So hopefully we probably won't get through the whole chapter, but we'll do our best. Okay. Verse 4, the lost sheep. So effectively, we're going to start to look for the characteristics of God. Okay, that's what we're looking for. Who is God? Is God truly distant? Is he truly too big to know us? Verse 4. What, uh, what man of you, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he had lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in open country, And go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. 
And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. First point, he leaves the 99 sheep in open country. It's an important little, little thing to note. He leaves them in safety. He leaves them with food. He's not neglecting the 99. Okay? The shepherd is not neglecting the 99. He's made sure they're safe, and then he goes looking for the one. I think that's an important point. He goes after one. This is the big point. God loves each of us. He thinks of each of us. He, he keeps track of each of us. Each of us matter to God. Obviously, the shepherd in this story is representing God, if, I, if that's not clear. Uh, he, comes, oh, he comes home carrying it on his shoulders, which is a beautiful picture of closeness, of dependence. So the sheep is now dependent on God, but also his heart is to carry us through. Uh, we don't know if the sheep was hurt or, or simply lost and scared, but he carries us and we can lay our burdens to him. And he, didn't, he doesn't say anything about him telling the sheep off for wandering off. He just picks it up and brings it home rejoicing. Beautiful. Now, uh, if we can just go to the next one, there's a list that we're going to start to develop. And uh, so here's, I'm just going to start. This is the stuff that I picked up out of this. All of us matter to God. All of us are known by God. He notices when one person's missing and he goes after us. We are cared for by God. He went looking for it and he cared for it over his shoulders. We're pursued by God. Let's say that sheep was rebellious. Obviously, this is a parable, not a real story. But let's say the sheep was rebellious and actually took off on purpose, looking for adventure or whatever. He was still pursued by the shepherd and brought home. Yeah, we don't know if he was scared or injured or still rebellious. Either way, he picks him up over his shoulders and brings him back. Brings him back to his mum. Let mum sort it out. <laughs> or dad. Can uh, All of us can depend on God. Oh, I love this. All of us are celebrated by God in heaven. All of, it's, I love that little, that little point there at the end. Verse 10. I tell you, there is more joy before the angels of God for, for even just one who repents. Have you ever... Do you understand that? When somebody gives their life to Jesus, heaven throws a party. It is, it is awesome. And like I said, next Friday... Join me in prayer and let's party with heaven as, I, as we prayerfully kind of pray that young people will, will accept Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. Uh, I'm really hoping for a party next Friday night. I love that. Okay, so let's just go to the next story, the lost coin, and let's see if we can add to our list. Okay, so this is how Jesus is describing God. This is how Jesus is describing his Father in heaven. Okay, verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, 
If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that, had lo- that I had lost. Just so, I tell you that there is joy before angels of God over one sinner who repents. Wow, there's that joy again, that celebration of heaven when something that is lost is found. And obviously referring to people, referring to children, referring to us. Every time someone comes back to heaven, there is celebration. There's heaven in heaven. And so our, our list, if you can go to the next slide, we've got our list and we're just going to add a couple more to it. So just reiterate, we matter to God. We are known by God. We are cared for by God. We're pursued by God. We're carried on his shoulders. We can take his burdens. He takes our burdens. We can depend on God, celebrated in heaven. And, and that one, we can add celebrated by angels. There's a specific note there that it, that it mentions angels. So they live in heaven. They're part of heaven. And, oh my gosh, there's a party. Not just by the Father, but actually by everyone who lives there, in the angels. Fantastic. But I just want to add these other two. We are valuable to God. A lost coin, a silver coin, I'm sure there's more meaning that we can dig out. Um, But for now, I just want to just highlight that one silver coin was was valuable. It was valuable. I I didn't look up how valuable it is in today's money, but that's not the point. The point of the story is one silver coin was valuable and worth seeking after. And Jesus is saying... Because he equates it to people who repent. Jesus is saying that every sinner who repents is so valuable to God. Just like a silver coin. Isn't that wonderful? And we're noticed. We are noticed by God. This, this woman in the story noticed that one of her coins was missing. I don't know how regularly she counts her 10, ten coins. But she noticed that there was one missing and went looking for it. Turned all the lights on. And uh, tore the place up in until she found it. Wonderful. So we're getting quite a list, actually, of how Jesus describes his father. Now, the prodigal son. And this is, I think, probably one of the more substantial descriptions of how God describes his father. Now, I'll give you a hint. The father in the story represents God the father. And uh, the prodigal son. Uh, Prodigal simply means someone who's wasteful and reckless, especially with money, um, and uh, just really frivolous. So that's basically what the word prodigal means. And uh, that can often represent us. But there's other characters in the story too. Uh, There's the older brother who who actually represents the religious people. And Jesus is speaking to those people right now, the Pharisees and the scribes. Interesting. All right, let's read it. Verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them, his two sons. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took the journey into a far country. And there he squandered 
his property, his, his, his money, and in reckless living. He recklessly squandered all his father had given him. Now, I'm also, let's, let's also make a list of the son. Uh, so it'll, it'll be on the screen as well. But uh, he was rude. He was disrespectful. Now, inheritance, certainly back then, what, what, what does someone have to be before you get their inheritance? You have to be dead. How disrespectful is this? This son, give me, what, give me what's coming to me now so I can go and be reckless with it. Like, he is basically saying, so disrespectful with his dad, I, it is, I want it as if you are dead. Or, potentially, I wish you were dead. It's, I don't know if it's quite... I mean, you could read it like that. So disrespectful. He rebelled from tradition. Now, back then, certainly, it was actually the oldest son who would generally inherit everything uh, and become the new father of the house, the new head of the house. And then, then the younger son still had authority and could still do stuff, but that's kind of normally how it went. But he actually said, no, 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 give me what's coming to me now. Uh, yeah. So he was a bit rebellious as well. Selfish, reckless, unwise, immoral. The father, on the other hand, he was respectful of his son's wishes. I don't know. I, I'm a dad, and if one of my kids came to me and said, hey, I wish you were dead, give me my inheritance now, I don't think I'd give him a thing. <laughs> Except maybe the back of my hand. Uh, no, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I've got two of them here. Um, like, it wouldn't be a fun conversation. Let's put it that way. Um, but this father respected his son's wishes. He was generous. He didn't have to do it. He didn't have to do it. He wasn't dead. He was gracious. He was kind. He was selfless. I just want to point out, um, do you think it was his father's will for his son to do this? No. But he allowed his son to have his own free will. And he allowed it. He, he, he allowed his son to make his choice. And from the father's perspective, and I think this is true of our heavenly father, this was actually the cost of real relationship. What's that thing that people say about loved ones? If you let them leave, uh, if they want to leave and you let them leave, and then they come back, then you know it's real. It's, it's like that. And I think that's kind of describes our relationship with God as well. With our free will, we walk away. We walk away from his from his heart, we walk away from his ways, we walk away from, from relationship with him, from covenant with him. Uh, but the next bit is beautiful because it describes uh, not just the, this process of repentance that the son goes through, but we start to pick up more of what the father's heart is. So let's read it. Verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. It's what we call poetic justice, right? Now, again, this is a story, but I, I always giggle at that bit. Uh, a severe famine rose across the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out. In other words, he got a job. Out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. 
And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. Mm. But, verse 17, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Pretty please. Doesn't say that, but. There's a famine in the land. Did God cause the famine? Maybe. God certainly has the authority to cause famines. It's, and he's certainly done it before. And again, this is a story. So, um, you know, we, when it doesn't, Jesus doesn't actually say that. But please don't assume then that every famine is caused by God. God certainly has the authority. He certainly has the power to do that. But that doesn't mean that every famine is caused by God. When I was um, researching statistics, you know, because there's a lot of people in our world that's hungry. But the truth is uh, the Western countries threw out more food than was needed to feed all those people. Uh, A shameful statistic which one day standing before God, I'm not going to be proud of that one. He was hired to feed pigs. Now, a Jewish person, maybe you don't understand this because you like bacon and ham. I had bacon this morning. It was fantastic. Um, But if you're a Jew, bacon is one of, like pigs is off the menu. It was considered an unclean animal. Okay, so uh, Jewish had certain things that they were allowed to eat and certain things they weren't allowed to eat. Uh, And uh, if you know anything about that history, I think there's probably good reason for that as well. Um, but we're, 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 we're much cleaner nowadays. <laughs> but um, so they were unclean, and I think Jesus is really saying he got a job feeding pigs and then longed for their food. I think Jesus is really exaggerating his point here. He's saying he got the lowest job he could find, and even then was underpaid and longed for the food that he was feeding the pigs. Crazy. And then there was this moment of clarity. He repented. And he remembered his true identity. He was the son of a wealthy father. He was the son of a father who could provide for him. Have a kind and generous father. And obviously, sometimes when you hit rock bottom, sometimes it takes us hitting rock bottom before we repent. Because we're slow learners. I don't know if I'm just speaking to myself here. But uh, I know I've had to hit the rock bottom in some certain areas of my life before I turned. But he repented and he remembered his true identity. Let's read on, verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. 
for this son, for, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Oh, gives me goosebumps just reading that. So first things, um, notice that the son doesn't even get through his speech. He only got up to the bit, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And he didn't actually get to finish because the dad was like, I've heard enough. I can, I can, I can see your heart and that's it. Uh, I don't need to hear anymore. He, he makes it really easy for us, doesn't he? Beautiful. Now the ring and the shoes, they actually mean something quite substantial. A ring... Uh, of a, let's say, a, a wealthy person, a ring is a sign of authority in the household. Okay? So it's like a, like a family signet ring. Uh, and if any of the servants, because there probably was quite a few servants that lived on this homestead. Okay? Uh, but the sons were identified, one of the things they were identified with was a ring. And the ring meant they had the authority of the father. They actually carried authority. They were over all the servants. And that's what the ring stood for. Now, this young man had walked away from his family. And in tradition, he would be cut off. He's no longer a son. He is no longer a son of that house. In fact, they probably had the right to stone him or, you know, like he was, he was to be denied. I, he, I don't know that, God, that boy. He's not my son anymore. He walked away. Religiously speaking, they had the right to do that. And as we read a little bit later, the big brother felt that way. But the father didn't do that. He embraced his son and he immediately gave him his authority back. He immediately gave him his ring back. The shoes actually signified wealth. Poor people didn't necessarily have shoes, but wealthy people had shoes. And the fact that he put shoes on his feet and, and the robe actually meant the same thing. Wealthy people, like they, um, workers in the field, they don't have these big, long, flowing robes necessarily because they're really hard to work in. But the robe actually meant something of uh, status. So his father immediately gave him back his status as a son. He did not deserve it. His father killed the fatted calf. Now, this was only for very special occasions. They were saving this for a special occasion. Uh, we don't know what the special occasion would be, but his brother was offended enough. The, the fact that, this, that, he, that his father considered this a special occasion. But this was an incredible occasion from the father's perspective. His son was dead and is now alive again. Oh, worth celebrating. So his father lavished grace upon his son, despite his choices. Grace means favor that he did not deserve. Grace means undeserved favor. And he gave favor to his son. And he didn't deserve it. So, there's two lists. The prodigal son's list and the father's list that I'm just going to highlight right now. So let's just add a bit to the prodigal son's list. He was rude, disrespectful, rebellious, selfish, reckless, unwise, immoral. But we can add the last two now. Humbled and repentant. Humbled and repentant. You know what? 
if you've come here today and you can identify with a big bunch of that list or even just one of them, you have the opportunity to be humble and repent. And the father will treat you just like this father has treated his son, which is a wonderful promise. The father, he was respectful to his son's will. He was generous, gracious, kind. He, he was waiting with anticipation. He saw his son coming from a long way off. There was, he was probably had this routine where he would always go into a certain spot where he could see the furthest and just pray, excuse me, and wait for his son. He was passionate and undignified. Now, when I say undignified, uh, rich people do not run. Okay? They don't go jogging in the morning. Like, because uh, they wore these long robes as a sign of their status. And in order to run, he would have had to lift his robe up, exposing, you know, his ankles and his feet. You know, those really sexy bits. Um, he would lift his robe up and, and even up to his knees expo- be exposed, which was an undignified thing to do. Okay, so that's why I add undignified to that. But the father was willing to be undignified because of his passion for his son. He was compassionate. He was forgiving. He was generous. And he was joyfully celebrated. Joyfully celebrated. Just like we read in The Lost Coin and The Lost Sheep as well. My son, for this, verse 24, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. They began to celebrate what was lost. It's a bit like the son was like trash. He was like rubbish. He was just like he was at the bottom. He was at the bottom and it was a bit like it was a bit like rubbish. It was a bit like rubbish. I got some rubbish here. Does anyone like zero? You like zero? I've got some more later. So so this is rubbish. You see it's oh sorry, dripping. Yeah, because it's rubbish. But if you keep your eye on this, we're gonna do something fantastic. So um if you, can you, our kids, I'm going to need some help. Can everyone just really focus on this? Just really focus on and watch this because something fantastic is going to happen. You ready? Can you see it's crushed? I think you guys need to focus a little bit more. Kids, come to the front. Oh, honestly, quick, quick, quick. Yeah, you're at the front. Quick, really focus your eyes on this because I need your help. Come on. Focus, 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 focus. Everyone at watch. Oh, oh, you guys are doing good. Is anything happening? There's nothing happening. Oh, 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 oh. oh. Is something happening? It's... Ah! Ah, oh, watch. Oh, look. Okay. It was like it's been made new again. Here. Watch this. It was, once was dead and is now alive again. My son who was dead is alive again. Is that cool? And now, now, yeah, now it's dead again. Yeah, thank you. 
You've, you don't seem impressed enough. <laughs> yeah, I'll put that here for you to look at as a reminder that the Lord is so gracious. He is so gracious that he takes something that was dead. If you're listening on the podcast, I apologize. Well, I just took a can out of a trash can and, and, uh, and then we brought it back to life and tipped the coke out. And then, well, yeah, thanks, mate. Everyone, that's my son. Okay, so the rest of the story. Jesus described his father as being respectful to his son's will. Just respectful to our will. Let's, let's, let's make this personal now. He is generous towards us. He is gracious towards us. He is kind. He waits for us to come home with anticipation. He's passionate, even to the point of being undignified. And death on a cross is about as undignified as you can get. You know, Jesus would have been stripped bare and uh, very undignified. But God was willing to do it. He's compassionate towards us. He's forgiving. He's generous and he joyfully, he's joyfully celebrated. We are joyfully celebrated in heaven. Isn't that cool? Can we consider this myth busted? That God, let's just go to that last one. Let's just read our myth again. Yeah. God is too big and too distant to know me or care about me. That is not what the Bible says. Okay? It's not. He loves us intensely. Now, just quickly... With a few minutes we got left. The rest of the story is that the oldest son comes in from the field. I won't read it. I'm just going to skim through it for you. The son comes in from the field and he discovers there's a party. It makes me wonder if he thought, oh, what did I do to deserve a party? <laughs> I'm the oldest as well, so you know I can relate. Um, and then he was told uh, by one of the workers that his little brother had returned and then his dad had killed the fattened calf and threw a party. And his response was he got very angry and he, in fact, refused to go in. That's what kind of what makes me think. I wonder if he thought the party was for him. He refused to go in. He refused to go in. I can't say that loud enough. He was being religious rather than loving and relational. Was he wrong? No, he wasn't wrong. The son didn't deserve to come back into the family. The son didn't deserve the authority that the ring gave him. The son didn't deserve the robe and the shoes. The son didn't deserve to be called son again. And he knew it. He was just hoping to, be, to get a job. He knew it. But because he was humble, because he was repentant, the father embraced him back and gave him his son status back. And that's what the gospel is. That's what Jesus has done for us. But right now, Jesus, this second son is in the story because Jesus is talking to Pharisees and scribes, these religious folk who were, who were being religious. They were saying, I'm sorry, these sinners, these tax collectors that you hang out with, they don't deserve. They don't deserve your favor. They don't deserve grace. But Jesus was saying this because that's not the Father's heart. And now God was doing something different in history at this point. 
with Jesus coming in, he was in fact inviting everyone else to come back into the family. Not just the Jews, because in the Old Testament, the Jews were God's chosen people. Now God was expanding that family to include everyone who would come home. The sinners and the tax collectors who were Jewish and non-Jewish. Beautiful. The father had every right to reject the younger son, but he chose love and forgiveness. The father in this story represents God the father, and the older son represents the Israelite religious folk. Can I just invite the worship team back up? My question for you today is, who do you identify with? Have you been a prodigal? Reckless, rebellious, been away in need of repentance and in need of grace? Well, hopefully you've heard today that that is here, that God has that, excuse me, that God has that for you. Do you relate more with the older son? You've grown up in church your whole life and you actually prefer to take a posture of judgment over people. Well, they're the, they're the people that Jesus is telling off in this story. My prayer for me and my prayer for you is that we actually adopt the Father's heart. That we love and accept people whether they deserve it or they don't. The Father has made his intentions very clear. Anyone, anyone who turns towards him will receive grace. What he requires is repentance. He requires a humble heart. And unfortunately, if we've grown up in a religious system, actually they're two of the things we often lack, is humility and a repentant heart, because we think we're good. None of us are good enough to be accepted on our own. We all need Jesus. So let's pray. Let's pray together. And I'd really invite you to reflect on that yourself. And if there's something that God's laying on your heart, pray. Pray and ask God to forgive you. And he will. That's one of the things that God can't do. Is he can't not forgive someone who's asked for forgiveness. Because he promised it. Father God, I just thank you. Oh, this story is beautiful. It shows us what you think of us. It shows us that we're valuable that we're worthwhile pursuing by you. That you would leave 99 to pursue the one sinner. And Lord, I think I can speak for all of us to say we are all sin and we all fall short. Lord, we all need your grace. I just get the the impression that there's some people here that need to do some business with God. That you need to maybe come back or maybe accept God for the first time. And so I just invite you to pray. Pray this prayer. And you can repeat after me if you like. But this is a simple prayer of repentance. So if that's you, if God's tickling your heart right now, 
You don't have to do it out loud. This is between you and the Lord. And you could just say it to yourself. Or say it to God, actually. But just repeat this after me. Dear God, thank you that you love me, even though I don't deserve it. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die for me. I definitely don't deserve it. Please forgive me. I want to come home. I want to come home. I don't deserve the ring and the shoes. I don't deserve the dignity of being called your child. And yet you've promised that. Oh Lord, thank you. I give you my life. Teach me how to live in your ways. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, I really felt, I think, I, I don't know, my emotion, God's emotion on that. And I believe someone here has just prayed that prayer. I'm just going to do something. Everyone shut your eyes again. Everyone shut your eyes. Because again, this is just between you and God. But if you just prayed that prayer, can you just stick your hand up? I'm the only one watching. I'm the only one watching. Fantastic. Brilliant. Excellent. So I just want to pray for you guys. I saw three hands. And so I just want to pray for you guys specifically. But if, if you'd like to come up to me afterwards and, and talk, that'd be awesome. God, I just thank you for those people who just prayed that prayer, who are either coming back to you or coming to you for the first time. Lord, whatever their story is, you know them inside and out. And Lord, I just pray your blessing over them in Jesus' name. I just pray that you'll fill them with your spirit. That when they open the word of God, that the words will just jump off the page because you are speaking to them, because you want to speak to them, and you love using your word to do it. Lord, I pray that you'll bless them. I pray that your favor will be on them. I pray that you'll fill them with that joy, that joy that's happening in heaven right now with the angels and, 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 and Jesus and the Father all you know, hanging out and having a party. Spirit as well, maybe. I, I don't know how it works. Oh, but Lord, I just pray for, for your joy to fill these folk. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. I'd really encourage you, if you're one of those people who just put your hand up, come up. I'd love to talk to you afterwards. But uh, let's stand. And uh, we're going to sing uh, Lion and the Lamb, right? It's a fantastic song. All right, come on, let's sing.